Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada today with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our series, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, we'll turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Back on July 16, 1999, John Kennedy Jr., his wife Carolyn Bissett, and his sister-in-law Lauren Bissett set out in a plane JFK Jr. was piloting. They left an airport in New Jersey and were flying to an airport at Martha's Vineyard. It was summer about 8.30 in the evening and darkness was soon descending. And Kennedy was a relatively new pilot and was still in need of additional training regarding flying by instrumentation. Darkness closed in and the weather was deteriorating as Kennedy approached Martha's Vineyard. The radar track from the airport showed the plane wobbling and then steering into a horrifying downward spiral and then hitting the water at an incredibly high rate of speed. All three on board perished in the crash. But what had happened? From the investigation that followed, it became clear that Kennedy had suffered from a phenomenon called vertigo. It's a deadly condition that afflicts pilots when they lose sight of solid bearings on the ground. The inner ear is designed to measure one's movement in relation to the fixed sensation of gravity. But without a fixed reference point, the inner ear can be confused, giving entirely wrong sensations. And so a pilot may sense that he's flying absolutely straight, but the airplane's instruments convey a very different message. They say your wings are tilted steeply to the right of level and the nose of your plane is pointing straight down. But your senses intervene and tell you you're flying level all is well. And in this rage of sensations against the rationality of the instruments, pilots must learn to mistrust their own senses and trust the instruments. Many inexperienced pilots simply can't get themselves to fly by the instruments, for to do so feels like they're flying straight to their death. And so Kennedy couldn't get himself to trust his instruments, for everything in his head and sensations told him that to trust the technology will result in disaster. And that inability to trust in an instrument rather than his inner sense was fatal. Now, here's a little secret. We all have spiritual vertigo. We're flying our lives towards eternal death, but our inner sense tells us we're flying right. But in wonderful graciousness, our great God has given us flying instruments that can be trusted. It's called the Bible. One of the great acts of faith is to trust the Bible, its truths and its directions, more than we trust the inclinations of our heart. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, his role in creation, in the Old Testament, in Pentecost, and in our own conversion. And we've seen that the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, plays a unique and distinctive role in our salvation. The Father planned our salvation from eternity past. The Son accomplished our salvation by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And the Spirit administrates our salvation by transforming the heart so that we, who would reject the message of the gospel in our sinful estate, now find that message altogether desirable and reliable. But there's so much more to be said. The Spirit also oversees the purity of the message, making sure that it reaches our ears without perversion, error, or falsehoods. If we don't hear the message, if the message is lost, or if the message is distorted, no matter how the Spirit opens our heart, we will have no message to hear. 
And so it should not surprise us that the Holy Spirit took a vital role in three areas. First, in the creating of the Scripture. Second, in the preservation of the Scripture. And third, in the interpretation of Scripture. And had he not done so, we would have had no navigational instruments that will fly us into the presence of God. Instead, we would follow our own instincts, which will lead to ruin. Today, we will not have time to consider the preservation of Scripture, but we will consider the Holy Spirit's role in creating and then interpreting the Scripture. So let's look at Scripture and what the Holy Spirit has done. First of all, we note that the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture. Let me state it succinctly. There is no more basic question than to ask, what is the nature of the Bible? To be sure, I'll be quoting from the Bible to speak about the Bible, and those of my listeners who are skeptics will find that to be circular reasoning. But look at it this way. If the Bible made no claim to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, a skeptic could well argue that we have made of the Bible something that it did not make of itself. As an example, imagine if I were to claim that William Shakespeare's plays were divine, that they came directly from God. Well, you might well argue that Shakespeare himself did not view himself that way. Should we not consider Shakespeare from his own perspective? So how did the Bible writers view themselves? Well, for one, the repeated phrase, thus says the Lord, appears hundreds of times in the pages of the Bible. The writers of the Bible are conscious of the fact that they are claiming to be messengers of the God of Israel. We also see a number of other phrases that make it clear that God speaks and has spoken through the prophets. One of the well-known passages of the Scripture that give insight into how the writers of the Bible felt about their work as prophets is taken from the book of Exodus. First of all, you may remember that God calls Moses to go to Egypt to demand of Pharaoh that he let the people of Israel go. Moses complains that he's the wrong man for the job. He's not eloquent. Indeed, he's a poor speaker. God then condescends and tells Moses that Aaron, his brother, can do the speaking for him. I'm reading from Exodus 4:16. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. In other words, he is to repeat what you say. But what is this business of you being like God to Aaron? Ah, the passage is later explained in Exodus 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So from this passage, it's clear that the use of the word prophet is someone who speaks not his own words, but the words of another. And in the case of the prophet of God, they speak on behalf of God because God has put his words into their mouth. So from hundreds of passages in the Old Testament, it's evident that those who are writing the Bible have a conscious awareness that they are writing God's own words. But how exactly did that happen? Because as anyone reading the Bible will notice, each author writes and speaks within the context of his own personality. There is a uniqueness of style that we find with each Bible writer that is not unlike any other writing that we have in human literature. People express themselves within the bounds of their own abilities and giftedness. Well, the Bible itself explains this phenomenon. Writing to his disciple Timothy, the Apostle Paul tells him how he is to view the Old Testament writings. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. 
Now, the Greek word for breathed out is the word theopneustos. The fascinating thing about that word is that this in 2 Timothy 3.16 is the only known place that word has ever been used. It's not been found in any other Greek text, either in the Bible or in any other piece of literature that we know of. Therefore, many Bible teachers, myself included, believe this is a word that Paul actually invented. In order to tell you what the Bible actually contains, he realizes that there is no word in Greek to express this, so he invents a word, theopneustos. It means God breathed. All scriptures comes from the breath of God. Look at it this way. When you or I speak words, in order for those words to be formed and heard, breath is required. So also, the words found in Scripture come from the breath of God. I notice also that Paul adds, all Scripture. The Greek word for Scripture is the word graphe. We get our English word graffiti from that word. But in Greek, it means the writings or those unique writings that come from the breath of God. Now, I'm going to come back to that. But how, if this is the breath of God, is the breath of God heard within the distinct personality of each writing prophet? Well, let's listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1.21. He says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, that phrase, carried along, is an interesting phrase. Men spoke God's words using their own personalities, knowledge, background, unique vocabulary, and style, but they were carried along, meaning that the Holy Spirit directed and oversaw, superintended each word so that each word was exactly the word that God wanted to be expressed. That's the unique role of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. He is God's breath. That's why Jesus could say with such confidence, and I'm reading from Matthew 5:18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus was clearly so confident about every word of the Old Testament that he believed that the Holy Spirit so meticulously oversaw the prophetic writings that when they wrote, everything was to be trusted down to the smallest stroke of the pen. Now, the passages I've just quoted were about the 39 books that make up the Old Testament. Can the same be said about the New Testament? Well, indeed it can. If you listen to the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3, 16, he's speaking about Paul's writings. And he says of them, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, the Greek word for scriptures is the word graphe, those sacred writings that have been breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Consider that the ink was hardly dried on the writings of Paul, and already the Apostle Peter knows that he's looking at scripture when he reads the writings of Paul. We'll come back after the break, and we'll have so much more to say about that. We've just returned from a two-week ministry trip to India. The highlight was the Bible teaching conferences facilitated in partnership with Back to the Bible India under the direction of Dr. John Newfeld. Each conference was attended by pastors and lay leaders in Hyderabad, Pune, and surrounding communities, and each was filled to capacity. The thirst and enthusiasm to gain the skills for effectively preaching and teaching the Word of God was so evident. God was and is doing a great thing. But this could not have been accomplished without the commitment and financial support of our international partners across Canada. Now we begin planning additional conferences in Delhi and again in Hyderabad, and your continued financial support for the conferences 
would mean so much. To support this international effort, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. There are some who argue that this kind of meticulous oversight of the Holy Spirit into the writing of every single word of our Bible can't be true. For instance, they point out that in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 12, where Paul is giving instructions regarding marriage, divorce, and remarriage, that he makes a distinction between what he says and what the Lord says. So in verse 10, he says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Then in verse 12, he says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. The problem here, as some think, is that Paul is saying that some of what he writes is not superintended by the Holy Spirit. But a closer examination of the passage shows us exactly the opposite picture. When Paul says, not I, but the Lord, he is quoting directly from the words of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Then later, he feels emboldened to add something to what Jesus said. I add this, he says. Jesus didn't teach this, not the Lord, but I feel emboldened to add something to what Jesus said. I, not the Lord, that is, I, not Jesus, give you this command. Now, how can he do that? Because he's writing sacred scripture. In other words, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 12 has Paul saying that some of the things that he writes are in addition to what Jesus has already taught, and he can do that because he's inspired by the Spirit. Now, why should that surprise us? Hadn't Jesus said to his apostles, and I'm reading from John 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And that was Christ's promise to the apostles. They would have supernatural knowledge to perfectly recall what Christ had taught. And furthermore, they would be able to explain with certainty all the implications of what Christ had taught, even adding material onto the teaching of Jesus. And it would be the unique role of the Holy Spirit to leave us an accurate and completely trustworthy record of all that God wanted us to know and believe for our salvation. So let me now make a statement, and it didn't originate with me, but it is worth repeating. To disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Yes, and that includes both Testaments, for in Luke 24, 25, Jesus rebuked his disciples for not believing the Old Testament. In contrast, according to Isaiah 66, verse 2, God delights in those who tremble at his word. So let me get back to my spiritual vertigo illustration. So many of us have been misled to believe that to be led by the Spirit is to follow an innate inclination in our hearts. We think going by what we deeply feel within, that this must be the leading of the Spirit. And so has come an ideology that Spirit-led Christians are always going by inner impulses from deep within. Now, do you remember the old book, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? When Ebenezer Scrooge first sees his deceased business partner, Jacob Marley, he disbelieves his senses. And Marley asks Scrooge, why do you not believe what you see? To which Scrooge answers, because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, 
a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more to gravy than of the grave about you, whatever you are. I love that line. Now, here's my point. Sometimes our deepest senses are no more than an undigested bit of beef. Sometimes our inner sense that we are flying right is because we really do have spiritual vertigo flying to our death. And here is the point. The only way to walk by the Spirit is to walk by the revealed will of God, for we can demonstrate this. Every word of it has been superintended by the hand of God. Study it, believe it, read it, meditate on it, follow its teachings through verse by verse and line by line. That is walking by the Spirit. Now, I have said that the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of every word of Scripture, but now let me add another item. The Holy Spirit illuminates our minds when we study the Scripture. There is such an important matter here because many of us are convinced that the Bible is so hard to understand, it's all a matter of private interpretation. We love to point out the historic differences between denominations, everything from ethical issues around which Christians disagree, and then we throw up our hands and say, well, if all those theologians that study this stuff all day long can't figure this stuff out, what am I supposed to do with it? And if that were really true, that Scripture itself was so confusing, we would again be without guidance. It would be like reading one of those complicated instruction manuals for some technological tool that we have that we simply can't understand. I mean, perhaps the manual is true down to the details, but what if it's so difficult that you need a Ph.D. to understand it? But the Bible itself claims to be clear. Deuteronomy 6, 6 6-7, commands us to teach Scripture to our children, and if children can understand it, then is it not understandable for us as well? Psalm 1, verse 2 talks about the godly man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, meaning he not only understands, but he finds the words he understands pleasurable. Psalm 19, 7 claims that the testimony of the Lord makes wise the simple, implying that the simple can understand and be made wise. And furthermore, as one reads Jesus, one can see that when he disputes with the religious leaders, he doesn't say, ah, yeah, 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 the scriptures are very complicated, and therefore we have different interpretations on this matter. Remember, he says, have you not read? And you are wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. I mean, the implication all the way through the Bible is that ordinary believers can understand and interpret the Bible for themselves. John Wycliffe, the great Bible translator, said that any plowman could understand it. Augustine said that it was so easy to understand that a child would get it, yet so deep that we could drown in it. What then is the role of Bible teachers? Well, good Bible teachers will provide a depth that we might miss, but the meaning itself is most often plain and right there. See, without wanting to oversimplify, yet something important needs to be said. Oh, let's let the Bible say it itself. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, well, Paul says that spiritual person is very different. Let me try to state this in my own words. The person who does not have the benefit of the Holy Spirit living within will always find the words of Scripture to be unwelcome, intrusive, even offensive 
so that he or she will reject these words or twist and distort them to make them say what their sinful inclinations would like them to say. For us, our traditions and our desires and our misdirected emotions will be more important than the words of Scripture themselves. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Through Him, we will find the words of the text to be life and peace and wisdom from God and ultimately desirable. We will see a change in a heart toward the things that we read. And that's what the Holy Spirit also does. He changes our hearts so that we will not only eagerly search the Scriptures, but we will find those teachings that used to offend us to be the very things that our hearts long for. And so this is the issue. Until our hearts are responsive to God, we will find the Bible a bewildering array of teachings that mean little in terms of our lives. Now, does any of that surprise us? The same Holy Spirit who directed the writing of Scripture also directs our hearts to love that message that came from the mouth of God. This is His work in our lives. John, I was really intrigued by your analogy about spiritual vertigo. And I'm, I'm wondering if we can talk about that a little bit more in this sense that, you know, sometimes we become deceived about all the things that are around us, all of our senses, all of people talking into our lives. And, and for some reason, we discount the Word of God that's right before us. Yeah, I think in our culture today, I mean, every culture presents uh, people within it with uh, different uh, principles of right and wrong. So, I mean, our principle of um, of right and wrong includes, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, sex can be had in all sorts of circumstances. And I have met, probably you have as well, Ben, individuals who claim that they are being led by the Spirit while they're sleeping with their girlfriend or something of that nature and are claiming that God smiles on that. And that's what we call spiritual vertigo because everything within their culture has trained them that they're flying right when they're flying this way as long as they're being loving. But of course, the instruments are telling us, you know, you're flying this thing right into the water. I mean, you're going to crash and die, but they are going to have this struggle. Will I believe, you know, the scripture or will I believe uh, my own feelings? What do you think we're so deceived or why are we so deceived by these things? Yeah, the world, the flesh, the devil. I mean, all of these are the great deceivers in our own lives. So I'm going to say this, you know, the Holy Spirit comes uh, not to get you to trust your own instincts. The Holy Spirit comes so that you might believe that the Bible is the Word of God and you can trust it and that your conscience gets tied to the Scripture. And the Holy Spirit keeps pressing you back into the Word so that you trust it and not all of those three other items, the world, the flesh, and the devil, which will tell you the exact opposite of the word. That will be the struggle, but the Holy Spirit is faithful and will deliver you back into the arms of the word. Thanks for your words today, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. The Celebration Caribbean Cruise is scheduled for February 2018. Join Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, great musical guests in the entire Back to the Bible Canada ministry team on board the Royal Caribbean's Freedom of the Seas. It's a five-day journey to some of the most beautiful and exotic islands and locations. Enjoy everything the cruise has to offer, along with inspirational Bible teaching, worship, fellowship, encouragement, and laughter. 
This is a vacation event for the entire family that you won't want to miss. So make plans today and call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit backtothebible.ca for all the cruise details. Space is limited, so don't be disappointed and book now. And just as an added reminder, all ministry vacation events are paid for by the participants and no ministry resources are used for this purpose.